You're listening to author Sue Brain, and I'm delighted to welcome you back to this third series of Embracing Your Mortality. Yet again, I've got a great lineup of guests, all of whom put living consciously for a better world at the heart of what they do. The aim of this third series is to gather together leading thinkers, scientists and sages to explore why engaging with our mortality matters. My fear is like not living my life fully. So I really want to go out there and really don't waste this beautiful opportunity. They include death doulas. It must be really hard to go when the people that you love the most are in the room. It makes sense that when they pop out, people pop off. A hospice nurse who is providing emotional support to businesses. About making sure that you keep it about that person. Never talk about, oh, I know what it's like when my mum died. It's not about that. And my final guest, truly an early Christmas special, is a world-leading expert in near-death experiences, end-of-life experiences and consciousness. As soon as you become aware of this central column of light within you, love and light are the chief components of you, the soul, if you like. And if you haven't already, don't forget to listen to the first two series of Embracing Your Mortality. Links to my guests in both series can be found on my website, suebrain.co.uk. Even though we're going through increasingly challenging times, I hope all these conversations from all three series inspire you to embrace your mortality so you too can live more consciously for a better world. Michael has been working for over 20 years as a leader of sweat lodges, sacred pipe and prayer ceremonies with teacher plants in the tradition of the Mexican lineage, Sacred Fire. Sacred Fire is active throughout North and South America, Europe, and in some countries in Africa and Asia. At its heart lies a prayer of honoring our ancestors and holding space for all the children of the earth and for all the generations to come. The use of teacher plants is currently only legal in certain countries around the world, but Michael explains why he's working to see that change in the future and has requested that only his first name is used for this interview. I've been doing this about 20 years or so now, um, actually leading ceremonies, um, starting off with Sweat Lodge, we call them Temascal, and then moving into um, ceremonies inside a teepee with the teacher plants. Before that, I was often singing around the fire um, in different circumstances. And I suppose, I think the song is what's carried me into this. Um, and the love of sacred songs and also the love of connecting to the earth and the spirits around a fire and in a circle. Um, and the beautiful things that can happen when you are in a circle and mm. also the magical things that can happen through ceremonial ways, through the form that the, the ceremony gives. So as a child, were you interested in this or did it, did it just unfold or how did you first sort of fall into it? Um, 
I really didn't see it coming like this. Um, I thought I was going to have what you might call a normal life, um, sort of focused around making money and getting a decent job and everything, which I have done a little bit of. Um, but I, I did love singing when I was a child. I was in the choir at school. And um, when I was a late teenager, I started playing guitar as well and met, I suppose I had my first spiritual awakening or the start, start of that. When I was, say, 20 or so, I met some um, Krishna devotees and went to some Krishna meetings um, when I was living in Berlin. And um, it started to turn me on. And then rather than heading straight into a job after university, I thought I'd go traveling for a bit. And I went to Spain and, and that led me to a rainbow gathering in Austria. And that's the first time that I actually felt energy. There were lots of people talking about the amazing energy in the circle, which I didn't really understand what they were meaning until one moment I suddenly felt it. What happened for you when you felt it? Well, lots of things fell into place, you know, understanding what all of these people were talking about for one. A tingling in the body and opening the heart. Um, it's not like I, I knew then what my path before me was. Yeah, and I had also, I'd, I'd been in the Scouts. That's one of the big things in my life. When I was 13 or 14, I joined the Scouts. So it feels like the you know, sitting in a teepee is a little bit of a continuation of work, of being in the Scouts. The love of being out on the land and being around a fire and the simple things of life, cooking on a fire and so on. We've forgotten those wonderful gifts, haven't we? That That sort of sense of, open fire on the earth, taking us back to who we truly are. Exactly, yeah. Even when you're not in a ceremony, then simply sitting around a fire with friends, there's an instant heart, heart opening. And like you say, a memory of who we are and mm -hmm. a cleansing of the clutter that we have in our minds most mm -hmm. of the time. You describe yourself as an earth medicine man. Is yeah. that the right title for you? To be honest, I'm not particularly attached to having a title. I know when we first talked then you were wondering if I was a shaman, which I certainly wouldn't say about myself, even though what I do um, does tend to be labelled as shamanism. Um, I would say a medicine carrier, ceremony leader. When you say a medicine carrier, what do you mean by that? Um, simply that I carry the, the sacred medicines of the teacher plants and share them with the people. So it's a very straightforward and practical description of what I do. I have a very Western understanding of shamanism, and I've heard the medicine carrier before within that context, but I know that you, you personally don't like to be called a shaman. And I just wanted you just to explain the difference between being a, a shaman and being a medicine carrier. So a shaman, in my understanding, is someone who um, is in intimate communion, communication with the spirits and often will live outside of normal society um, where they're talking with the spirits more than talking with the people. And then they'll be able to, to connect to the spirits for healing for the people. And I understand it as somebody who sacrifices a lot of what most people like in their lives, for example, living in family in order to do that. I live with my family 
and um, while I sincerely try to speak to the spirits, um, I, I wouldn't say that I'm in such a deep communication with the spirits as what I would imagine a normal shaman, a proper shaman to be. I pray for healing for the people and sometimes I do feel or sense or hear the spirits um, in communication. Um, but I feel it's not as clear as it would be for somebody who's more dedicated, who spends mm. really all of their time in that connection. That's quite interesting that you say that because, and I've never understood the difference between somebody who works with earth medicine and a shaman before, like you put it really clearly, because in my experience, there's a lot of people who call themselves shamans, but in fact, if they're living within a family context or whatever that that is, and that that's not actually shamanism. I wouldn't want to um, criticise anybody who takes on the label saying that they're offering shamanic healing or working in shamanism. Um, it's just the way that I see it for myself, yeah. And how did you get involved with what you're doing? About 30 years ago, I was living in Spain in a teepee village. Um, we did regular sweat lodges every full moon and new moon and lots of songs around the fire. Um, and then a friend um, who lived locally invited a medicine man to, to lead a ceremony. And she came and she said, oh, you really need to go to this ceremony. It's really beautiful and you've got to come along. And so uh, I went together with my partner at the time and some other friends as well and met the, the leader of what we call the Sacred Fire of Itzachilatlan, who's the, the medicine man that I work with. He was leading a, a ceremony. It was a very big ceremony, maybe 60 or 70 people. And I think in that moment, a lot of things did fall into place. Um, I felt a heart opening like I'd never felt before. And while I was, I, I loved the sweat lodges we were doing. Um, suddenly doing everything in, in a ceremonial context and with a clear direction of prayer really clicked for me. Mm. And it felt like, um, I suppose from that moment on, I, I was understanding how I wanted to progress in that way. Um, I had actually been praying or meditating for a vision of where where to go in my life around that time. And the answer that came was a man with a red feather would take you up the mountain. And um, it didn't really click for a while. And then a couple of weeks later, we continued the prayer by um, holding tobacco circles. So we made simple prayer circles with tobacco, smoking and praying like that. And then I heard people talking about the red path. And then I heard talking about the vision quest and going up the mountain. So do you feel like there's another part of you or a something else that has taken you along this path because it sounds to me like you've not really had much choice whether you wanted to go on this path or not I don't feel it's another part of me I feel it's a, a, an awakening of what's within I suppose I don't have much choice but it's um it's all very joyful <laughs> yeah my experience talking to lots of people who found the path whatever that is there is this sense of joy because I guess it's about connection isn't it profound mm. connection Yes, there is still a questioning though as well, you know, while it might be, in some ways it's easy, it's easy because you, you find it, it's offered to you and you can, you know, follow the teacher and, and the, um, the protocols and so on. But at the same time, the, um, the questioning part still, still goes on. I think since then I've, 
I haven't really questioned too much um, about whether I want, might want to go back to what's, what you might say is a more normal life or a more conventional life. Um, so I feel very lucky in that. I'm interested in what you were saying about the lineage and uh, finding your teacher. Do you feel like you've been trained by him? Is that the right word? Were you an apprentice to him? How did it work for you? He does offer teachings, mostly in the context of how to hold the space, mm. the practicalities of running a sweat lodge and the practicalities of running a teepee ceremony and so on. Um, but he very much also says that the main teachings are to be found through connection. And so the main teacher in our tradition is very much the, the Vision Quest mountain for those who go up the mountain. And so we go up and go on Vision Quest. In our tradition, we do it for a cycle of four years to start with, starting with four days and then seven and then nine and 13. You fast for the first four days and then after those days you get brought food and water. And so the intention there is to ask the mountain or mm. the earth, the sun, the stars, all of creation for your teaching, for a direct teaching like that. Um, and similarly, when you're in ceremony, then you can ask the fire for the teaching. You know, it can come through those those um, spirits of nature like that. When you talk like this, it's just so beautiful to hear somebody so utterly dedicated and living, really living that um, sacredness. And when you sort of see how the world itself is turning around you what's that like for you it makes me feel sad in some ways confused that um you know because so much of it feels very obvious and it also feels like i can't imagine how anybody's not seeing it at the moment it feels like all the messages we're getting are so clear mm. and at the same time i believe that just about everybody really wants to be good in their lives really wants to do the best for their families and for their children. So I suppose the main thing is how to do that, which it's also not that clear for me. You know, it feels almost like we should just stop using cars, for example, and yet mm. still drive around. And at the same time, trust that this is what's happening at the moment. And um, this is the life that we're living in at the moment. But with the awareness that it could all change, as we've seen in the past couple of years, that in an instant, it could all change. And so not to be attached to anything like that. Yeah, I think that's the one way for us all to try and not necessarily make sense of it, but just kind of surf the wave of chaos that we're all experiencing in, in whatever way that, that works for us. A lot of people that work with earth medicine, going back to the sacredness must be really helpful. Yeah, you can be experiencing really hard times, you know, not just... Um, the sort of hard times that we've got right now, but also difficult times in your personal life that the ceremonies can really help you to um, come back to the heart and to feel strong within yourself. How does that work? How does ceremony help somebody who's going through a really difficult time? It usually can give you a, a clear understanding of, of who you are beyond the, the mind chatter. Um, sometimes you can get this feeling of, you know, the mind keeps going on with all the, all the things that we talk about in our heads, um, that get us down or feed us being down. Um, but sometimes when you're in ceremony, you can actually observe that chatter and take some distance from it. 
Um, mm. Similarly, whatever's going on in your heart, you can. It gives you the space to breathe into there and allow it to soften and to to take some nourishment. So, a lot of the time we're working with the elements. So, in the presence of the fire, you can because you're sitting in front of a sacred fire that's kept in a very beautiful way and is beautiful in itself like that, then you can feel the, the light of the fire coming into your being, for example. And similarly, we pray over the water and ask the water to cleanse us. And these are all medicines that are all around us all the time. And so they really fortify the, the link we have to, to the elements mm. and, and remind us that we are those elements. So they remind us that we mm. are that fire as well. We are that water. So we can really be as clear as the water and as bright as the fire and as strong as the earth. So beautiful, isn't it? Just to have that sense of that, it, that these elements are us and we're not separate from them, but we're part of the whole picture. It's really helpful. For, as you say, it just opens the heart. I can feel my heart opening just talking to you, actually. It's lovely. I just want to talk to you more about, you talked about the teacher plants. What do you mean by that? So I work with um, various teacher plants. These are sacred plants. They're sometimes called medicine plants or master plants. Almost all plants are medicine, but there are some plants that um, affect our consciousness in a stronger way and can open our, our vision and our hearts in a, in a very profound healing way. As I'm speaking, I'm finding it difficult to distinguish between, it's not like there's a clear line between um, what you might say are normal medicine plants and the teacher plants as we call them. These plants um, really do a lot to inspire us, to, to guide us, bring us visions bring us a deeper understanding of what's going on in our lives or maybe even where we're going. They help us to connect to a prayer. So a lot of the work that we do when we're in a circle is coming together to lift up a prayer. So we might mm. be praying for the healing of somebody or something. And the, the plants help to um, loosen up the, the boundaries that we create around ourselves. They help to bring us together like that and um, open up the gateways to spirit. The first teacher plant that we recognise is tobacco. And obviously that's a plant that many people use at the moment. Doesn't necessarily have such a very strong effect on the consciousness in the way that most people use it. And yet it can be, we recognise it as the one that opens the, the gateways to spirit, you know, simply by sharing a tobacco in a sacred way or in a conscious way, then there's the possibility of opening our hearts and sending our prayers out to spirit. Is it normal tobacco or is it from a special source? We like to use tobacco that's homegrown or, um, you know, grown cleanly. It's not always possible to, to find that much of that. It feels like in the past couple of years, um, it's more and more we're getting that in our family. Um, but generally it's um, like the cleanest tobacco that we can find. There are some brands that don't have chemicals in them so much as most other brands. In the ceremonies that I run, we tend to use pipe tobacco with a little bit of rolling tobacco. And then we mix it with some herbs for various purposes, sometimes some flower petals. Some people like to put flower petals in 
um, and personally I like to put a bit of aniseed in which we simply put in to sweeten the tobacco sage and cedar um, I know that um, in the more in the very strictly held traditions there are particular plants that they would put in the tobacco and I can feel them going what you put petals in your tobacco <laughs> um, so it depends on the intention that you want to call into the tobacco but very much also when we're mixing the tobacco we're speaking to it and letting it know that we want to take it in a sacred way and that we want to send prayers with it and connect to spirits through that tobacco it hears what you say um puts it into its being and so then when you smoke it or use it in other forms then it will carry that prayer people say that the tobacco amplifies as well and so if you put into the tobacco a prayer for your good health then first of all you're aligning yourself with that prayer for good health but then as you send it out to spirits through the smoke then it's amplified and so the prayer is given extra strength i was talking to somebody uh, just the other day about the lack of spirituality in in western culture i can really only speak about my own culture which is british and this sort of this this rejection of religious belief and really sort of spiritual belief as well and and it feels to me that we're just missing so much within ourselves by not just opening up to that part of ourselves and how you're speaking about it makes me yearn for it. We're missing beauty in our lives, I think. Yes, it feels like there's a collective grief around this. I believe that in our history then, in our lands, in the Blessed Isles, in Britain and in Europe, that we had that connection um, for a long time. Well, probably from the day that we were, we came here as humans, and that um, the connection has been severed, and the powers that be, whoever that might be, um, mm. have suppressed that connection. Certainly through the the witch hunts have mm. gone by, and in many other ways, and we've been sort of told to um, believe in different things. And more or less nowadays, the main thing that we're encouraged to believe in is um, is money, I suppose, power through money and possessions. But like you say, I think there's a, a grief among the people of feeling they're missing out on something. So it's simply a question of allowing that beauty in mm. and recognising it. And a lot of time in the ceremonies, um, simply giving thanks, really, one of the main things we do with tobacco is just say thank you. And though certainly in my first ceremony, it was like, why are they saying thank you again? You know, um, and, and I'm sure it's like that for other people coming there for the first time of, you know, so how many times do you need to say thank you? But the more we do that, the more we realise just how blessed we are. Yeah. And the more deeply our um, appreciation of the beauty around us can feed us as well. I can't remember where I, I heard this, but gratitude has an even higher vibration than love. I don't know if that's true or not, but certainly the need to feel gratitude, I think, is essential nowadays as well, mm -hmm. because we've all got so much and we've actually forgotten we've got a lot. Indeed. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, just having good water and good food and a roof over our heads. Yeah. And hopefully most of us with good company in our lives as well. I was very interested to hear that there are ayahuasca churches in America and they've managed to get around the legal issue by stating that the ayahuasca is their sacred 
sacrament. And I understand the same. I think that happens with the San Pedro churches. Is that is that right? Yeah, I believe in some countries. I think in Ecuador, the San Pedro is recognised as a sacrament, and um, and is and certain people are allowed to carry it. And the same in North America as well. Um, certified members of the Native American Church are allowed to carry peyote. Um, I believe it's probably just it's probably not in all states, and it's only for indigenous um, Native American people. We are hopefully working towards that within the organisation that I work in. There's no time scale on when that might actually come into fruition. You mean in the UK? There are many people who are part of um, the, the Sacred Fire of Itzachulatlan, as it's called, um, and it's active in South America, North America, lots of countries in Europe, Africa and Asia. And so as an international body, um, we're hoping to have an international status with the understanding that it'll, it'll be different in each country. There's an explosion of interest in this. It does seem to be, yeah. Um, I think it's, like you say, the, the yearning for spirit that people are experiencing these days. Um, and the teacher plants can give a really um, direct and clear mm. connection to spirit. They're amazing, these plants. They, they sort of tune into what we need, yeah? They, the plant can see what's, what's weighing us down and churns it up and then allows us to release it like that. It sounds to me like you're saying that the plant has its own consciousness, which completely interrelates with human consciousness. It certainly feels that way, yeah. What does consciousness actually mean to you? A good friend just recently in a ceremony, he was saying that um, scientists have seen that our makeup isn't really that different from many of the plants. Uh, we've got the same DNA as many of the plants, especially the teacher plants. And so when we take these plants, then they're simply triggering things within our own DNA. And certainly in the, in the past, we, perhaps, perhaps just the medicine men, perhaps just the, like uh, you say, the shamans, um, used to communicate with the plants and the rocks and the animals um, and the unseen beings in a way that simply accepted them as conscious beings. Then the plants do speak and the animals mm. speak and the rocks speak and the, the spirits speak. And so it's a bit of a step for modern man to recognise the consciousness within other forms of life but it does feel that it's slowly coming back. People are starting to recognise that an animals have feelings and thoughts. You know, I think that's, that's becoming fairly mainstream. And it's also becoming a little bit more mainstream that plants have feelings and thoughts and that the, the web of life, the mycelia in the forest um, is connected oh, yeah. and trees send each other messages and so on. It's about um, starting the communication, starting to talk to them and to listen to them. Um, and, you know, the first time you're doing it, the first time you're speaking to a tree or a, or a, a fruit tree or a, a cob nut, then, you know, you might feel a little bit strange. But, um, <laughs> but the more you speak, then the more you hear as well. Um, you, you know, some people actually hear them speak words in words that we can understand. Otherwise, you might just feel um, feel things in your heart or mm. in your body. You might have some sort of understanding in your mind 
from that communication. Um, or you might get nothing at all. I think we're slowly remembering how to talk to the plants and to the other forms of life. That was Michael, medicine carrier and leader of sacred pipe and prayer ceremonies. My next guests are oncology nurse Rosie Ellis and psychiatrist Dr. Lauren MacDonald, who've joined forces to create the Essence Medicine Institute, which specializes in easing fear and anxiety towards the end of life. For me, the idea of dying and death was just so final and um, it really did terrify me in the middle of the night when I was lying there on my own. We want it to be something that can reach as many people as possible and for people as well to be able to explore what spirituality means to them. You've been listening to Embracing Your Mortality and I look forward to you joining me again next time. In the meantime, here's to us all living more consciously for a better world. The Embracing Your Mortality podcast was researched and recorded by Sue Brain and produced and edited by the Podcast Den. Podcast Den.